0: Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We, th- we thank you that we can get together and to worship you around the word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at this and help us to see what you would have us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week we covered the battle of David and Goliath and the slaying of Goliath and David cutting off Goliath's head. And by the sound of what it talked about, he carried it around for a long time, Uh around the round everywhere he went. He even showed up in front of Saul carrying the head of Goliath, so it's kind of an interesting interesting picture that we don't usually learn in Sunday school. Uh, so first Samuel chapter eighteen, verse one. And it came to pass when he had made an end to speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit unto the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul, And Saul took him that day and would not let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all people, also in the sight of Saul's servants." All right, so we're starting to see the rise of David. And we, as we talked about last time, we don't really know how old David is, okay? He was the youngest son, so he still took care of the sheep. And we talked a little bit about how when somebody's the youngest, they're seen as a young person forever. You know, if you've got multiple children, your, your, your youngest one is the baby. They're, they're 60 years old, and you're 80, and they're, and they're still the baby. Uh, and they always will be, and so we don't know how old David is. It appears that he's in his at least in his twenties at this point in time. Uh, it is possible that he's a teenager getting this kind of renown, but not as likely. He's been ministering to Saul by music, and then when Saul didn't need him, he'd go home. Now he came in, he slayed the dragon, and that oh, dragon, yeah, <laughs> the giant. <laughs> And it says here that uh, he, you know, Saul took him that day in verse 2 and would not let him go anymore to his father's home. Okay. And remember we talked about this. When Samuel told the people what will the king do, he said he's going to take the best. He's determined that David is the best, and he's putting him in his service. And he's a musician. He's a warrior. And we also see a very interesting statement here in verse 1. And it came to pass when he had made it into speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan and David have a deep friendship. Now there are many people who read into these verses that they were homosexuals and everything, and that's not what they're talking about. Um, it wasn't even so long ago that men hung out with men all the time. You know, and, uh, men's clubs, not the, with the girls and everything, but just smoking and talking and and brandy. You just you after work, instead of going home, you went to these places where you talked with men and you, you really knit together with the men. And this is the type of thing this is talking about. Jonathan and David struck up a friendship that was going to last their entire life, including Jonathan's early death that that goes on in this. And we see here that they are bond together and this word for knit literally means that their their souls basically come together. They they have gotten a relationship that is very much, it's even beyond friends. They're just, they're to the place where they want to help each other. And Jonathan later on when we get there is gonna realize that David's gonna be the next king. And he says, okay, I know you're gonna be the king and when I die I want you to treat my my family well. And David makes the pledge that he's gonna treat his family well and David goes, and Jonathan's gonna go out many times out on the limb and and protect David and from his father and and everything. So a deep friendship that's coming here. But it is not a homosexual relationship that people want to try to make it out to be. Uh, You know, when you hear that, you know, it's like, how dirty are their minds to go there? Uh, But that's where things are in our day and age. And so we see this relationship. And it says that Jonathan and David made a covenant. And they basically said we're going to be we're going to be good friends. We're going to we're going to protect each other. We're going to help each other, and David's ready to help the crown prince. And they broke his heart when Jonathan died, with Saul, so that he could become king. David was not looking to to be king, you know, at at all cost. And this is something that, when we look at things, do we? Are we happy when people get promoted or do we get envious of them and wonder why, why was, it, why not me? You know, why, why didn't I get it? And sometimes that is broken up friendships when somebody has gotten promoted or moved up because you're going, well, I'm at least as good as them. I know they're my friend, but I'm at least as good as them. I'm probably better than them. And this is something that we need to be very careful. As Christians, we need to be able to rejoice when somebody else gets some kind of promotion, gets, gets recognized. And this is, sometimes happens with pastors, they get jealous of each other because some pastor gets, gets more people or a bigger, bigger audience, you know, different, you know, gets greater pay or whatever. But you know, we're building God's kingdom. And as long as his kingdom's being built up, we should be very happy for anybody else that's doing God's work. And I've shared with you, I used to tell people all the time, they go, well, I can do this better than you, and be my guest. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of jobs out there. You know, if you really want the job I'm doing, I'll go find something else to do. Now, I'm talking about even before, even before I became pastor. I used, to run, I used to run a lot of things. But they'd go, you know, well, I, could, I could run the Sunday school as well as you could, or I could do the deacons just as well as you could, or I can, you know, I'm going, well, fine, go ahead. But, you know, because our attitude isn't, it's not me doing it anyway. It's got to be, if it's going to be for the kingdom, it's the Holy Spirit working through us to do something. So if somebody can have more of the Holy Spirit working through them because of their relationship with the Holy Spirit, more power to them. Because there's still plenty of stuff to do in the kingdom of God. There's You'll never run out of things to do. Yeah. Worst case is you go start a home Bible study. Yeah, it's, not, it's not a really hard thing to, to look at. But David and Jonathan were saying, we're going to look after each other. We're going, to, we're going to glory in each other's successes. And it says that Jonathan took off his outer robe, his, his, his royal robes, and he, and he gave it to David and his sword and his bow you know, and his belt. He gave him everything that he had because very quickly he recognized David was, was going to be king. It was very clear. He goes, okay, as far as I'm concerned, you're now the prince. Now, Saul is not going to have that, that easy of an answer. He's not looking forward to have anybody but his own son follow him. And as most kings, he wasn't even looking for his son to rule after him. Okay, He's willing to hold his son off as long as possible so that he could rule. Saul, as we've seen over time, has gotten a really big head. He lost that humbleness that he had when he first started. Like, who am I to be king? And we've seen it all through here, where he keeps doing things his way, not the way he's been told to by God, not the way he's been instructed by the prophets. He keeps doing things his own way. And you know, he didn't kill the the Amalekite and took the king. didn't Didn't kill their their possessions. kept the best of the possessions, supposedly to give to God. Which we know that if Samuel had not been there, they would not have been sacrificed to God. They would have gone into the people's pockets as spoils of war. And for some reason, he came, kept Agag alive. And we don't know why. I don't know if he had an affinity with him, that this is a king. Maybe maybe he's a, he's been a king longer than me. Maybe he can show me how to be king. I don't know what his reasoning was that, but it could very easily be. I want to learn what it means to be royal. And he would be a good person to help me, help me out. Otherwise, I don't understand why he would have not Followed his instructions. But Jonathan very quickly recognized David and he's so humble. He says, Okay, David, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you the sword. I'm going to give you my bow. I'm going to give you everything. I'm even giving you the robe, the royal robe. And I can imagine that Saul did not like seeing David with the royal robe on. Uh, you know, who, who is this? This is a guy I just took into my army who, who killed Goliath. And what's he doing wearing Jonathan's stuff? Jonathan's supposed to be the next king. And so there's a big problem, and we're going to see this problem overall over time, even to the point where Saul gets so mad at Jonathan because of his love for David that he tries to kill his own son. You know, throws a spear at his son because he's so mad that his son's helping David. And Jonathan all of a sudden realizes his his dad's hatred for his best friend and uh, sees a problem with it. And verse 5 is just kind of, it's a paragraph in and of itself. And David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him up over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Everything that David was given to do, he excelled in. The spirit of God was on him, but it also had to have been something about David himself with the skill set that God gave him. Because you think back to a person like Joseph. Joseph was in in his father's house and he was basically keeper of the household accounts. Uh, He he kept track of all that stuff. His brothers got jealous and there's a whole list of reasons why they got jealous. So they sold him into slavery and the next thing you know, he's running Potiphar's house, (laughs) all right? So he steps up from being a nobody to being the, the top. Then he gets accused of a crime he didn't commit, gets sent into prison and gets moved up in the prison to as high as a prisoner can, can get as far as authority. And finally gets promoted to running the entire country of Egypt. There are certain people that God has gifted with those administrative skills. They stand out in a group. And you, we've all seen them in various workplaces. You know, maybe we are that person. Maybe we're not. But we recognize that person going, that person's got something. You know, that person seems to have everything on the ball. And this is the type of man David is. Everything he's doing is going over well. So much so that Saul makes him a ruler over the men. Now, I'm kind of interesting in here. I don't know how high David was placed. We don't know if he was a ruler over a hundred, you know, a leader over a hundred, a thousand. Uh, doesn't tell us. But he's been put in charge of men, and the surprising thing is they follow him. <laughs> And this is something that is very important. There are people out there that are just leaders. Uh, I looked for those when I was in management, just people that people follow. Even when they didn't have authority, there are certain people that you say, people just gravitate toward. David's one of those. He says, I know what I'm doing, I've been successful. And people said, okay, yeah, this, man, this man knows what he's doing. Joseph was one of those men, just stood up in a crowd. And He says, he was accepted in the sight of of all the people and in the sight of Saul's servants. And again, we believe that he's pretty young, probably in his 20s, maybe late teens, and to have the men of war following him as an accepted leader, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, George Washington was one of those. In his his teens, he was made a colonel in the military and led the rest of the troops. (laughs) All right, And they followed him, and he had great victories in, in his battles. David's that type of man, young, and the people go, we got him. Uh, Alexander the Great was one of those young leaders, the teenager when he started being general of the army. And uh, so we see David having this natural leadership, and possibly just anointed leadership as well, but he has, he's standing out in the crowd. And it says the, the men of war accept him, the people are accepting him, and Saul's servants are accepting him. So he's very popular. He'd uh, kind of, kind of be uh, a sports hero or a rock star in our day and age. You know, people go, "I want him. I want to. I want to be like him. He's he's the hero." Uh, I like the idea of sports stars better because there's a little more <laughs> to be saying that they've done something than than most most actors and stuff. But even then, they're not worth following. But David is somebody that's leading the, ar- leading the army. He's being victorious for the country. He's killed Goliath. You know, just a just a short short guy, nine foot six. You know, and just a just a short guy. Uh, you know, and David's probably four something, five something. You know, uh, and managed to kill Goliath. And the people are he's gaining a reputation. And we're going to find out that this reputation is going to irritate Saul. Verse six. And it came to pass as they came, and it came to pass as they came that when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of, this, of all the cities in Israel singing and chanting to meet King Saul with tambourines and joy, with joy and with instruments of music. And every woman answered one another say, as they played, saying, Saul is slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed a thousand. What can he have more than the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. All right, we don't know how long it was on this campaign. Everywhere that David was sent, he had victory. And they get back home. They get back home to the ticker ticker tape for parade, basically. The people are coming out. The women are calling back and forth in a chant. Saul has killed his thousands and David is ten thousands. David, Saul is a proud, proud man. All right. David has just done whatever Saul has asked him to do. And I don't know if David's actually killed ten thousand as opposed to, to Saul's thousands. Saul, Saul's been in battle a lot longer than David has been. Remember, we talked about how they've been fighting since Saul became king. And all of a sudden, David's the hero. Have you ever seen somebody who gets more praise than they probably even deserve? And it just irritates people who who think they deserve the praise. This is is the situation we're in. Now, I don't know if Saul has killed, how many thousands Saul has actually killed or how many thousands David has actually killed, but David's getting a reputation. Here we've got this situation developing where David's getting the glory. And remember... Why is this really going to bother bother Saul? Remember two chapters ago, he didn't kill Akag, and what was he told? The kingdom has been taken from you. So he is insecure at this point. He's got great pride, but he can't let anybody look good because he's already been told that God's taken the kingdom away from you and given it to another who is more worthy. And all of a sudden, out of the blue comes David. Everything he does is success, and the people are calling him, in this case, ten times more successful than Saul. And this angers Saul. Because he looks in and says, You know, probably looking back, is this the one that God is going to replace me with? And you see that in his answer. What more could he have but the kingdom? Which tells you his state of mind, right? David has done nothing but serve Saul. He served him by playing music to calm him down. He killed Goliath for him. Everywhere he's been sent out, he's done done the business and and been successful. And he has served Saul. And this is something that happens a lot, especially in churches, but even in in business world. Sometimes you get somebody who is just serving. They're doing their job. They're not trying to make anybody look bad. They're not trying to take somebody else's job necessarily. They just want to do the best job they can and somebody insecure starts looking at him and saying, this person's out to get my job. They're better than me anyway. They're, what else can they do but take my job? This is where Saul's at. He's so insecure and he's got a right to be insecure because he's been told he's gonna to lose the kingdom. I don't know that he knows that David's been anointed king. It doesn't seem to be that at this point, but he's keeping a watchful eye on David and that's what it says on the in verse and verse 9 and Saul eyed David from that day forward he kept a close eye on David what is David doing what kind of success is he having uh, how is he how was he being used you know what are the people saying about him he probably had people watching David all the time and and what was he looking for was David raising an army was he trying to divide the the nation to to cause a civil war was he going to Revolt against Saul. He's looking for anything that David is going to do that would be a problem to him. Trying to show that he's trying to take his kingdom from him. Because Saul expects that. God's told him he's going to lose his kingdom. So he expects outright rebellion to be against him. And we're going to see that David never does. And David on more than one occasion says, I cannot touch God's anointed. On at least two occasions, Saul was in David's power to kill. Powerless. And David did not kill him. And the final one, Saul finally backed down and said, Okay, you're not trying to kill me. I'm just going to, I'll start leaving you alone. And that's after years of chasing David all over Israel. Saul spent more time chasing David than fighting the enemies of Israel. But we see here his just his insecurity. One of the things we need to be careful as Christians is not to let insecurity drive us into competition with other people or trying to tear somebody down who's doing great things for God. I've seen churches where people get so insecure that they really split the church and tear the church apart because they're just so worried that somebody else is getting any kind of blessings and honor and they're not. And so we want to be very careful What do we get? We get what God wants. What did Jesus tell the disciples? He says, if you want to be greatest in the kingdom, you have to be least in this world. And that means you're not building your own kingdom. You're not trying to be somebody. You let God work through you and you probably will be somebody. But he says, you're not trying to be. You're letting the spirit work through you. And jealousy and envy can destroy families, churches, can destroy businesses. Especially if there's two co-owners or partners and they get envious of each other or one of them gets envious. That whole business can go down the tubes. A church can fall apart by somebody getting envious or or jealous over somebody else's promotions. Uh, We need to be careful of that because it's so easy. Our flesh wants attention. And if somebody else is getting attention, our flesh is, what about me? What about me? Or even worse, I should have got it. If they, only, if they only knew how much work I did in this place, they would realize that he's, he's just the one leading it and I'm doing all the work. Well, you know what? We need both people. We need the leader and we need the worker. But if, you know, we just start looking at being humble and saying, God, just give me what you want. The good news is when we get to heaven, God's going to reward everybody who has a part in anything done. And that could be just the person that's sitting in the back corner praying for what goes on in the church and that's the person nobody even knows and yet they might have more power in in what's going on than anybody else it could be the person who really can't do anything but they can make money and they're the one supporting the church in a a big way and we don't really realize what they're doing especially if they're quiet about it and one of the things I like about here is I don't know who gives what or who, who gives any amount of money because I don't want to know I don't want to know that this person goes, well, you know what, if you don't treat me right, I'm going to leave the church. Well, fine, if that's what God wants you to do. Well, you don't understand, I I give all the money. Well, then God will replace it. Uh, It's really simple. But, you know, I don't want to have anybody to have that kind of power and say, well, you've got to treat me good because I give. Because there are a lot of churches where that happens. Somebody goes, well, you know, I give $10,000 a month to this church, so you better treat me good. And of course, we don't get anywhere near 10000 a month. I'm talking about a bigger church with a rich person in it. but, but you know, And sometimes those people get treated special because of that. But, you know, that's not the right thing to do. If you're given for those reasons, you're given for the wrong reasons, and I'd rather not have that money myself. And, you know, but we need to be careful. Why do we serve God? Are we serving God to serve God, or are we serving God to see some kind of recognition? And ideally, it better be that we're serving to serve God because we're just his servants. So we can't do anything without Christ anyway and in the long run, it's just him. He gets all the glory. And the good news is is he does the work and we get the pay. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. God rewards us for him doing the work. All we have to do is back off and say, God, I just want to let you do it. And we see here, Saul's jealousy. He keeps an eye on David. And I'm sure that he had people that were assigned to keep an eye on David. Whatever David's doing, whatever he's saying, which is why we go back to that verse, just a few, in verse 5, where it says, And David behaved wisely. He did what was righteous. He did what was right. He didn't have to watch out for what was being said. He didn't have to be careful about what he was saying. We think about Daniel. And in in When uh, Daniel was at his very end of his life, he was in charge of everybody, and the people didn't like it. And it said they sought out a reason that they could accuse him before the king, and they couldn't find anything. Now, I can tell you one thing. Politicians are good about finding dirt. Even back in Daniel's day, (laughs) if there was any dirt, anything to get Daniel on, they would have found it. You know, any, any you know, secret adultery or fornication or embezzlements or just saying the wrong things about the king or whatever, they would have found, they would have found something against him. They, were no, you know, they weren't inferior to our day's politicians. The fact that they could not find anything said a lot. I think David is kind of in that same boat. He's behaving himself wisely. He's following God. Saul's not finding anything. Now he's making up all kinds of things in his in his mind because of his jealousy, but he's not finding anything to accuse David of. Otherwise he'd have executed David because he's afraid of him. He, if he could have found anything, he'd have executed David. Verse 10, And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at the other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. All right, so David is still, even though he's running different parts of the army, he still, when Saul gets into these, these foul moods, he comes to play. Only in this particular time, it's not working. Saul is very irritated. He's having a really bad day. He's having this bad spirit affect him and put him in depression. Add to that, the he feels like David's trying to take his kingdom. And here David is playing for him like he normally would and he says it's all David's fault. And his mind all of a sudden snaps and he throws the spirit at David. And it says that he avoided him out of his presence twice. So it appears that Saul tried to do this at least twice during this period of time. This is going to be pretty tough. David is supposed to be the musician, and the musician does not come in clad in armor and ready for battle to play the instrument to calm the king. And the king's throwing spears at him. Not a very good environment. David could have decided in his heart, well, God, you've anointed me king. This is it. I'm taking, I'm taking this yo-yo out. But that wasn't his answer. His answer was to avoid Saul and wait for God to take him out. David's been busy winning battles. He could have taken, he could, if it had come to battle, he could have taken Saul out. And, but his was not his heart. His heart was, God, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for you to take this person down. And I've seen this happen you know, in businesses and everything where you get somebody that's just climbing up the back of everybody, tearing everybody down, ripping, ripping them apart to get there. They get to the top and they have no friends because they hurt everybody going up. And they're usually not that good in the first place, otherwise they would have been recognized and promoted without tearing everybody down. And they end up falling just as fast. And that's something I used to tell people when they would gripe and complain, well, so-and-so doesn't deserve it. I'm going, just wait. You know, it, it all comes out. If if this person really doesn't deserve the job, it'll come out and they'll, they'll fall flat on their face. David understood this. God promoted him. He said, God will promote me and God will make the way. He knew that Saul was going out to battle. Saul could have died in any battle. Then David would have had a really big problem. Jonathan, the prince, his best friend, would have been king. So David has a torn loyalty here. He wants to see Saul gone and him be king, but if Saul's gone, Dave, his best friend gets to be king and he would be happy about that. So he's not looking for this, and this is one thing that is very important. If we're not looking for promotions, usually they come along. It's kind of like when somebody wants to get married and they're seeking hard, heart, really hard, and then they stop looking and say, I give up, and then they find the person of their dreams in, in most cases. God does not want us striving to get something. Because when we're striving to get something, we'll make mistakes. We'll do dumb things. You know, you know, you're striving to be the number one. That means you'll take advantage of any little you know, adv- you know, thing that you can get, and especially if it makes the other person look bad. And David's saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing that to Saul. I'm just going to serve him. And I've been in this place where I was serving somebody, you know, trying to do the best I can, and they were jealous of me and wouldn't let me do my job. And it's like, okay, I'm gonna keep doing the best I can with this job, and you know, you're, you're losing out. You know, the one thing about it, when you're jealous about somebody, you don't use their skills. You don't, you don't allow them to use their skills, and if you allow them to use your skills, you look good, they look good, and everybody, everything goes good. <laughs> But when you're jealous about it, you try to keep that person down. Nope, can't let you do that. You might, you might get a better reputation than me. You might look better than me. And this jealousy is what Saul is doing. Saul could have been very victorious if he just let David go out and keep, keep fighting the battles for him. But he's going, nope, I'm going to keep David down. I'm going try to try to control him. Verse 12, and Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand and he went out and came in before people and David behaved himself wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. Wherefore when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So Saul goes, okay, I don't want this guy in my sight. I don't want to see him anymore. So he promotes him. Makes him in charge of a thousand men and starts sending him out probably on the most dangerous things he could think of sending him out on. Which is going to make David look better and better in the eyes of the people when he wins. Because Saul is afraid of him and he's going to send David out on all the jobs that maybe David would die in. <laughs> Give rid of this problem that way. I'll just keep sending him out. And it says that... Uh, He went out and came in before the people so every time he'd go out, he'd march out, the people would be cheering for him and he'd come back victorious and the people would be cheering for him even louder, which is going to irritate Saul even more, which means he's going to find some other thing to send David out because his mindset, and I can tell you his mindset, it doesn't say, but his mindset is, I hope he's going to die. He's going to tell us later on that that's what he's he's planning, but he's just saying, I'm going to send him out, and I can picture, he says, okay, I can send him here, here, here. This is the most dangerous, David, you're going there. Not telling David is the most dangerous, but I'm going to keep sending David to the most dangerous places. David, remember, picked up that same attitude when he's getting ready to to kill Uriah. He says, okay, I want, you know, general, I want Uriah up in the hottest part of the battle, and when the hardest part of the battle comes in, retreat from him which Uriah was a leader which meant they didn't just retreat from Uriah. When you really think about what David did, he didn't just kill Uriah, he killed Uriah's group of men, however large it was he was responsible for. Because they were in the middle of the hottest part of the battle and they all probably died around their leader. So David's sin was very great, but I think he picked it up from the idea from Saul. This is what Saul used to do to me. I can get rid of Uriah this way. and Maybe I'll be more successful than Saul was. And he was. And so Saul is sending him up, but it says he behaved himself wisely. This is what we need to do as Christians. We let the Spirit live through us. We watch what we say. We watch what we do. Because I've told everybody so often, people are watching us. If they know, if people know we're a Christian, they're watching us. How do we react when something bad happens? How do we react when the heat comes on and the pressure comes on? Do we blow up like everybody else? And they go, "See, I knew I knew it was all just a bunch of hot air. You guys are just like everybody else." I heard you cussing that person out because you got so mad at him. I heard you, you know, wanting them to to have bad things happen to them. I, I saw you looking at that person because you're so you know angry at your spouse. You wanna, you know, you wanna do something. People are watching us, and if we're walking with God, that can be a good thing. And I've had that experience where. Uh, one time, I was taking the youth out, and it, I was not their normal leader. And I've shared this with you. I got pulled over by the police in a, in a speed trap in Wikiup. Didn't know about the speed trap in Wickiup at that time. The first time I'd ever driven down that way, and I got pulled over. And a bunch of the guys in the back are watching me, and they're going, uh, "Why aren't you cursing and swearing?" My dad curses and swears when he gets pulled over. And I go, "Well, this is just the way it is. I was going faster. I didn't realize I was going fast. Now I'm." Now I'm going to have to take the consequences of it. But it opened up conversations later on because they saw something that was different from what they were used to seeing. Do we represent God when, things, when the pressure's on? And it can be in very simple things like that. You know, very simple things. When the pressure's on, how do we react? Are we looking at the spiritual way of doing things or do we react the way the world reacts? And this is what people are looking because people want to see life. They want to see victory. And if you got saved at an old enough age, you probably know that you were watching these Christians and saying, you know, they seem like they have something, but do they really? Do they really have something? And we watch them, and, and carefully watch them, and say, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe, maybe I want to try what they, they have because it seems like it's real. Or are they living just like the world? There's a lot of Christians out there that are living just like the world, and people look at him and go, "Well, that's what a Christian is." I have no no desire to be a Christian. I, I can live like that, you know. I can get mad at the person who cuts me off on the road. I can get mad at the the person who you know cut in line at the at the gas station just as I was pulling into the into the pump. You know, I you know I can I can do these things just as well as they can. So I don't want it. David's behaving himself wisely. He's walking the way God wants him to walk, which. On the flip side of that, if you're you're not wanting to see the person be (laughs) successful in their walk, that can make you irritated too. Because a lot of times the lost are just waiting for a Christian to fail so that they can have an excuse not to become a Christian. And David is walking carefully. And Saul saw that this was happening and he was even more afraid of him. Because Saul is looking for a reason to kill David. If he can get David to say one bad thing against him, he can kill him for treason. If he can get him to, to gripe someplace, he can maybe get him for, you know, get him to not have the people not like him. You know, we see this all the time in politics. You could be the most popular person one day and say one thing wrong and you are toast. Okay, and you know, you may, you may be literally on top of the hill, everything is good. Everything you say is good and you say one thing that is perceived wrong and it's like, nobody wants, to, you know, nobody wants anything to do with you. David's not walking like that, and Saul's afraid of it. Saul's wanting him to do something. David, do or say something so that the people will, will, will not want to follow you. He's hoping. He's just hoping for any little thing, and he starts getting to be afraid of David, and the people are liking David more and more, which is going to just irritate Saul even more. It was bad enough when they sang their songs, now all the people are treating him like a rock star. He shows up and they're, they're applauding and trying to, trying to get close to him. And, uh, and Saul walks out and he's king, so some people do, but not, it's not the same. And he knows it's not the same. Now he's king, don't get me wrong, there's nobody that's going to not pay attention to Saul. Okay? He's the king. He's just not a popular king at this moment. David's the popular man. And it's just irritating Saul to no end. Saul's crazy. Oh, he's already crazy. He's already, he's already got the depression of the spirit on him. All these things that he's had. He's, and so we add to this problem of his perceived thinking that David is out to get him. And usually we will see what we expect to see. All right? And this is true no matter what. We see what we want to see. Whether it's true or not, we'll see it. If somebody is a thief, and I've said this before, if somebody's a thief, they expect everybody to be a thief. And they're looking for, I mean, you even pick up a pen to use it, and they're going, see, I knew knew that person was a thief. And you put it back down, you know, well, well, they stole it for five minutes. (laughs) Uh, Now, those who are into fornication just believe everybody is into fornication. It's just you see what you expect to see in others. And even, you know, so Saul is seeing David as a troublemaker. Nobody else is. (laughs) And David's not being from everything we see, but Saul sees him that way. And he's looking for this, and he's looking for a reason to, to to hurt David. Verse 17, And Saul said to David, Behold, my elder daughter Nerab, her will I give you to wife. Only be you valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let not my hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. And David said to Saul, Who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be the son-in-law to the king? But it came to pass at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel the Mehoachite to wife. All right. So Saul decides, you know, okay, I'll give you my daughter. All right, there's one problem. Does anybody know what the problem is with this statement? Does anybody remember last week what the promise was to the man who was going to kill Goliath? Oh yeah, great riches, his daughter, yeah. and his family wouldn't have to pay taxes. Yeah, sure. She was already supposed to be David's wife. Now this shows you David's heart because he hasn't pushed for this. Okay, hopefully his dad got his free taxes. Uh, maybe David's getting his, you know, David's getting his riches. I don't know. He's got, he's getting promotions all the time. But this woman was supposed to have been his wife already. Saul forgives, huh? Oh, well. Conveniently well. forgetting. Convenient, convenient forgetting. Yeah. Yeah. David's not really in a hurry to get married anyway, obviously. But, but Saul did it because he said, you can have my daughter if you go out and
1: fight. Which he's already done.
0: Yeah. He's already earned her in his battle with, yeah. with Goliath. That was the promise. So this daughter is supposed to be his anyway. Uh, and so, but yeah, his whole get out there and fight. I want to, you know. He's already going out and fighting. He's already fought Goliath. He's already been sent out to the worst battles. He's hoping that if David keeps going out to battle, eventually he's going to die. And that's why I said, all through this, this has been Saul's plan. I keep David out in battle long enough, the odds are going to be that he's going to die. And then I don't have to worry about his popularity because he'll be dead. I just have to build a great big monument to him and, and everybody will be happy, but he'll be dead. He won't be king. And he's got his thoughts on marriage, might not pay attention to that. That's a possibility. Um, so, but David's answer is kind of interesting. He goes, "Who am I that I should be the, the the son-in-law of the king?" If he'd really wanted to be the son-in-law of the king, he would have gone a long time ago and said, "You know, hey, remember what you said when the, that it was going to be given to the person who killed Goliath? I'd like to have my I'd like to have my bride. I want to be I want to be in your family now." Now but he's not having that much of an interest in this. And uh, then it, but it appears that Saul says, yes, you're going to be, your, you know, you're going to be the, my son-in-law. Go out and do your battles. And then just when it was time for him to actually be betrothed, Saul pulls the rug out from under him, gives the girl to another man. And I believe that Saul just was kind of wanting him to say something. Just get upset, David. Give me a reason. Give me a reason to execute you. You had no real call on being being my son-in-law. So just, just, just gripe about. Just, just. I dare you to gripe about not getting my daughter. Because if he had dared to gripe, Saul could have said, "Okay, that's it. Into, the, into the, into the dungeon, or off with your head, or whatever, whatever level he wanted to go." If David had just done that, and then he would have made sure everybody knew how greedy David was and how David wanted to be in his house and how he was trying to become the next king of, king of Israel by, by getting into the house with the oldest daughter. Uh, so we see, you know, one of the things I love about the Bible is sometimes we think all these political intrigues and stories and everything that go on are, are new things. Always been happening. You know, Saul was playing all kinds of little political games trying to get David to fall. And it shows you how close David is to God at this peri- period of his life. He's not falling for any of this. He's going to treat everything well. And he's walking wisely. All right, verse 20. And Michael, Saul's, David, lo- uh, Saul's daughter, loved David. And she told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give him her, and she may be a snare unto him, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, You shall this day be my son-in-law in one, in one of the two. And Saul commanded his servant, saying, "Command David, uh, Commune with David secretly, and say, Behold, the king hath delight in you, and his servants love you. Now therefore be the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servant spoke in the ears of David, and David said, "Seemeth it a light thing to be the king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? And the servants of Saul said to him, on this manner, uh, and the servants of Saul told him, saying, on this manner spake David. And Saul said, thus shall so you say to David, the king desires not any dowry, but a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemy. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. All right, so Saul's other daughter, Michael, looks at David and says, "I, like, I I'm in love with this guy. Uh, we're going to find out she's never really the number one in David's life. But she loves David and she tells Saul, you know, hey, I'd like, I'd like you, know, you know, older, older sister Rahab doesn't, didn't get him and didn't want him. I want him. You know, I, I like him. And it says that Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him. Now he's thinking two parts on this to the Philistines. Number one, he's thinking about this, the dowry he's going to require. Hundred foreskin, so he's got to kill 100 Philistines and then mutilate their bodies um, to get this dowry. But also, he's thinking maybe there'll be some distractions. Somebody had mentioned he might, might forget to look for, the, look for the spear, and that's probably part of what he's looking for. He's going to be distracted. He's going to have his mind on his family. Maybe even in battle he'll be thinking about his family. He won't be as good a soldier. And there are people, there are kings that think that, that a family man is not a better soldier than a non-family man. But a family man is fighting for their family, which means that they're actually probably going to be a better soldier in the long run. But, you know, he's trying to go, we're going to make a snare. We're going to, put, we're going to lay this trap. And he says, you know, you're going to be my son-in-law. You're, you know, you're going, to be, you're going to be one. And then he started this little campaign in verse 22. Saul told his servants, you know, just start whispering in David's ear. You know, whisper in David's ear that the king, the king really likes you. You should be a son-in-law. This happens so often. This is the way business is done a lot of times in corporate world and government, whispering behind the scenes, getting people you know, kind of lined up for what you want, making them listen. And you know, David's saying, you know, do you think this is really a, such a light thing that I would be the son-in-law of the king? He goes me, I come from a small family in a small town we don't own anything, we own, we own a few sheep, as his brother said, who did you leave those few sheep of ours with? You know, so he's looking at, you know this is, this is a pretty big deal. If I'm gonna be king, if I'm gonna be the son-in-law of the king, this is a pretty big deal. I'm coming from obscurity, I'm a nobody. Why should I be the son-in-law of the king? And this is an issue for David. He's not looking to promote himself. Kind of goes back to where Saul was, hiding in the baggage cars, because he didn't want to be king. Now, we don't know whether it was out of fear or humility. I think it's more fear that he did it, but you know, he's hiding, not wanting anything. David seems to be very humble. He's not looking for this. He's already been anointed king. He knows he's going to be king. He, he could have been using that knowledge to manipulate Saul all over the place. He could have said right from the beginning, okay, I killed the, I killed the guy. If I, want my, I want my wife and I want my money and say, okay, now, now I'm the son-in-law of the king. I can work on getting rid of the princes so that there'll be no other, no other heir, to the, heir to the throne but me. That's not his style. That's not what he wants to do. He's going, God will promote me, and we're going to see this later on. He says, God will promote me in due season. And this is the thing we need to look at. God promotes when he's ready to promote. And when we're ready, he'll promote us. And before that, he keeps testing us to see if we're going to be truly believing. And David gets all these opportunities to, to manipulate the situation and he doesn't do it. He's a captain, of a captain of a thousand. He's got an army at his disposal. He's got the people at his disposal. He could have called up an army to revolt against David, uh, of Saul and he didn't. He could have become the, the son-in-law and helped eliminate the, the competition slowly and he didn't. And he's telling the people, you know, do you think it's such a light thing? You think you don't think this is a big deal to be the king's son? Son in law? And he goes, well, besides which I don't have any money to get to pay a dowry. And that's when they start saying they repeat that to Saul. Okay, so I'm not I'm not getting in with this one. Okay, tell him tell him this. You know, tell him I only one is a hundred foreskins. Now, this is a pretty grotesque picture. All right, he's going to first out go out and kill a hundred men. Then he's got to cut the foreskins off them <laughs> to bring them back to Saul, who's really not wanting the foreskins. He just wants to get David, get people mad enough at David to, to kill him. Because not only is he going to kill these people in battle or non-battle, but now he's going to appear like a butcher disfiguring the bodies. And that's going to be a big deal. The people are not going to like that. Well, same thing. Same, same thing. A little more personal. And then in verse 25, he's hoping that David will get an enemy and that the Philistines will kill him. And uh, verse 26. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not expired. Wherefore David arose and went, and he and his men, and slew the Philistines 200 men, and David brought their foreskins and gave them in full tale to the king that he might be the king's son-in-law. And, the, and Saul gave Michael his daughter to wife. All right. So we see here that all he was asked for was 100 foreskins. David brought him 200. He's an overachiever. David always was an overachiever. Uh, might have killed more people just in case, you know, just in case there were some circumcised guys out there that, in the battle, but uh, he goes out and it says, he and his men, or his servants, went out and they killed these men and they brought it and he got Michael to be his wife. He became the son-in-law of the king. See this, Saul's trying to kill him and this is going to be something, we're going to see you later, if I recall correctly, there's a verse where this talks about this, the, the Philistines remember this kind of thing. This is, you know, in their mind, he's butchering the bodies. It was one thing to kill them in battle. It's another thing to butcher the bodies. It's one thing to kill them in battle and take the spoil. But to butcher the body, and this is not the first time, remember, when he was battling Goliath, what was he did? He killed Goliath and he cut Goliath's head off. Standing there in battle with the, you know, the battlefield with Goliath's head off in his hands, and then it talks about him going all over the battlefield with Goliath's head in his hand, even showing up to Saul after the battle still holding Goliath's head. David is going to be told when he wants to build the temple for God, he says, no, you are a bloody man. One of the things we see about David, he was a good soldier, but he thrived on the, on the killing. He thrived on the, on the, on the execution. He thrived on, the, on everything about the battle. And God said, you enjoy it too much. You're not building my temple. Now, there was a time David had to build this kingdom and everything. But I think there was one of those things where David was like, all right. You know, he, had been, he was like, the first one in the battle and get into the middle of it and just you could see the rapture on his face as he's killing all these guys and chopping off heads and arms and legs and stabbing people and watching blood flow and he's, he's enjoying it rather than this is what I have to do to, to establish my kingdom. And there's a big difference between that. And I've seen it even, I've, well, I haven't seen it, but I've heard it from military guys and from the stories, where these guys get to the place where they just enjoy the killing, and then people get kind of afraid of them, because they get too wrapped up in the battle. They're in there for the pleasure of the destruction. And instead of this is my duty, I have to do it. And struggling with it. David was that type of man. He enjoyed, from everything we see, he enjoyed the battle. He enjoyed the killing. Uh, Verse 28. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Micah, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And David became enemy, uh, and Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass that after they went forth that David behaved himself even more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. All right, so David rises up, he gets married, and we saw three times that Saul is more afraid of David. He's getting more and more afraid of him. He's getting to the place where every time he looks at David, he sees a complete enemy. And it says he was David's enemy continually. And we're going to see this happening all the way up until Saul di- just before Saul dies, he considers David public enemy number one. All right? Should be the Philistines, <laughs> but David ends up being public enemy number one. He's going to spend years chasing David in between battles. He'll go out to battle, come back, and chase David. Go out to battle, come back, chase David. David becomes he comes, becomes obsessed with killing David because he's so afraid that David's going to take the kingdom from him. Now, little does he know, David's been anointed. David is going to be the next king, but it's not David trying to become king. But Saul is so worried that he's going to become king. And he didn't watch uh, Sun Tzu where he says, keep your, enemies clo- your, your friends close and your enemies closer. He didn't understand that. He, he kept sending David out and trying to get him killed by that. And so, but he was afraid. And it says, the princes of Philistines went forth and David went out and behaved himself even more wisely. David was blessed by God and he had a close relationship with God. We we see this. You know, all through the Psalms, we see David's attitude. Sometimes he got down. We see David down many times in the Psalms, and remember when we went through this book of Psalms, David would be down oftentimes at the beginning. He was depressed and sad and whatever, but then he started realizing my help comes from God. God is my strength. God is my shield. God is my buckler. You know, God is my help. He kept, he kept bringing in these things into him, and all the next thing you know, he'd go, okay, God, you and I can do anything. This kept him protected. He was able to watch his words. He was able to behave. And he was able to do things right. And Saul could not accuse him of anything. And it says in the very last verse, there in 30, the very last part, so that his name was much set by. David is getting more and more status with each passing year that he's dealing all of this. He's getting more and more famous. And This is something we can't. We don't know what it's like in this case, but we do know what it's like to watch some uh, actor or song uh, uh, singer or even a great athlete get more and more popular with every success that they do. Now they're not worth being idolized like they are, but we we know what happens. We we build idols out of these people so often, and people just go, wow, you know. I want to be like that person. Well, you don't even know anything about that person. Well, and especially when I do think about people and I've listened to people talk about actors. They talk about actors as if they're the characters that they play, and I'm going, you don't even know what this person's like. How can you be idolizing? How could you want to be like them? Well, you know, they got to be something like it. No, they're just good actors, and then you get to find out who they really are, and it's like, well, see, I told you not to. You didn't want to be anything like that person. And we deal with this with our children when they get into it. And we can get caught up into it for somebody who gets really famous, especially in some area that we like, OK? Now, For me, an actor or an actress could, not, could be the most famous person in the world, and I'm not going to care. Back in the days when I was into football, I cared a little more. Those guys you know, were somebody I, I looked at and said, that, that's somebody special. Dumb, really not smart, but I know what it's like to get caught up in it. What we care about will look at it and say, hey, this person's something special in that area. And we need to be careful of that because we can't lift anybody up. This happens even in churches. Sometimes pastors get lifted up. as the paragon of virtue and the paragon of teaching. And, and when they make a mistake, everybody goes, oh, no. What's going to happen now? Well, don't put the pastor on the pedestal. Don't put a deacon on the pedestal. Don't put a teacher on a pedestal. Don't put a family member on a pedestal. They're going to fail. At some point they are going to fail and you will be devastated if you, all your hopes were pinned on them being, being your savior, being your, being your guide. Now, it doesn't mean you can't look at them and say, I want to be more like them, but we want to be like Paul said to people, follow me as I follow Christ. Because if I do something wrong, I don't want you following me in what I did wrong. But as I follow Christ, follow me. Listen, watch, do what I do when it's right. Same thing we do as our kids, you know, follow me. I'm trying to be a good example. When I do something wrong, don't follow me in that one. <laughs> learn learn not to do it. David is one who's learning and he's gaining fame. And the thing about it is David's not trying to gain the fame. God has just given him blessings and the people are following him. All right, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come and study. We ask you to help us learn to not envy other people and to be joyful in their successes. Help us to be more and more like you in our daily walk, in Jesus' name, amen.